Good morning and welcome to the Hub City Church. We're so glad you decided to join us in worship this morning. If you're new to Hub City, we exist to make disciples who believe the gospel, abide in Christ, and obey the word of God. If you'd like to hear more about our vision, or if you're interested in joining one of our serve teams, you can visit our website, thehubcitychurch.org, or just text the word Hub City to 97000 and we'll follow up with you in the next few days. While we break for community groups during the summer, we'd love for you to stay connected through men's and women's groups on Wednesday nights at 6. Every year for the 4th of July, our church body serves our community at the Twin Hills Park firework display by handing out water, ice pops, and glow sticks. We'd love to have you serve alongside us and enjoy a time of fellowship together as we watch the fireworks. Pastor Tad will share more details with how you can do that. We hope to see you there. As we get ready to enter into corporate worship, if you have kids in service with you, we want you to be at ease. Kids are always welcome in service, and to make things easier, there are coloring sheets in the back of the sanctuary, and we have a nursing mother's room with our service streaming live just outside the lobby to the left. Again, we're so glad you're here. Let's worship Jesus together. All right. Well, hey, good morning. Uh, my name is Tad Anderson. I'm the lead teaching pastor here at the Hub City Church. And uh, just once again, on behalf of our church family, we're so glad you're here to worship Jesus with us uh, this morning. I've got a, just a couple of announcements before we get to the word. The first one is uh, just an update on our uh, just kind of a reiteration of our Fourth of July outreach every year. Uh, we collect a ton of bottled water. Maybe you saw the mountain of bottled water in the lobby. Um, that's what that is. We collect that bottled water together at the end of June, early first few days of July. Uh, and then we go out collectively as a church to Twin Hills Park for the city's 4th of July event. And we kind of just camp out together there to watch the fireworks together. But um, the fireworks aren't until 9. So leading up until that, uh, we're hanging out and we're just passing out free uh, cold bottled water to our community. It's, uh, it's a good way, like our Easter in the Park outreach, to just uh, love our community together by doing something kind that uh, seeks to improve the, the event for everyone. When we started doing this about five years ago, um, there was like nothing going on in the park. It was, just, it was just fireworks at nine, and then people were just walking around in the park until then. Now uh, the city's kind of started to build that up, and there's vendors and all that. Um, but we're still just doing the same thing, trying to um, do something kind for our community. It improves the event for everyone, keeping them hydrated because it's really hot. I'm just going to warn you, it's going to be really hot out there. Uh, and also getting into gospel conversations as we are able to do that. Not everyone that we encounter on the 4th of July uh, wants to talk about Jesus, obviously. Uh, but as we're passing out water and, and popsicles and glow sticks, we do have the opportunity to chat with families and, and hopefully let them know who we are as the Hub City Church and why we're out there to share the love of Christ. So uh, we would love for you to join us this year, the 4th. Is coming up. It's on Tuesday, and so if you'd like, you can still bring a case of water leading up to the uh, 4th and drop it in our lobby, or if you're coming, just you can bring it with you if you want to, um, but we've already, we're starting to pile up out there, so we're doing pretty good. <laughs> if you want to serve with us, just plan to show up at the park on the 4th. 
Uh, we're going to start setting up around 4 p.m. and we'll be there until the end uh, with the fireworks. You can come anytime within that time frame. You don't have to like come at four and stay all the way. But if you want to, please do. I'll be out there sweating for that long. Um, and so if you want to come do that with me and my family, you're welcome to join us in that. Um, uh, one thing, if you were with us last year, please take note that our location has changed. Uh, we got a lot of maps with uh, red circles on them today. I don't know if that's like, like me and Matt didn't talk, but like we both have a mat. Like anyway, it's like some mission going forth in Mumbai and also in Twin Hills Park, right? So that's where we'll be if you're familiar with the park there. Um, it's going to be right in front of the entrance of the, the dog park that they have, um, kind of facing the lake in the Twin Hills gym. Uh, if there's any more logistical information, we'll update you on that. We can always send a text blast out um, or just on social media. If you have more questions, feel free to ask me those after the service. Uh, the next thing is uh, we are holding a production team, and I've uh, I've just been corrected. I'm so sorry. I, I said this last week, and I did not include all the information, but I was um, graciously corrected. We are having a production team and band interest meeting um, coming up. We, we have a, a super important team there in the back, our production team that makes sure everything uh, runs smooth for us on Sunday mornings for our worship services. Uh, and we also have an awesome band, don't we? I, they are fantastic. So yeah, really appreciate them and clap for our production team too, because they're great. Um, but those, those teams need volunteers. Um, and so for the, for the production team, if you're techie, um, or if you just need somewhere to serve, they'll train you. You don't have to uh, know a whole lot. If you want to be in the band, um, a little more talent required. Um, don't make us do that awkward, like, uh, American Idol thing. Um, so, like, just, you should be good before, anyway, okay. <laughs> Love you. Love you, but anyway, you get it. Um, but for the production team, you don't need prior experience. Um, but anyway, there's going to be an interest meeting for both of those teams, um, next, or sorry, this month uh, on July 23rd, and they'll explain the vision for both those teams, uh, how they work together, the objectives of them, uh, and how you can be a part if you would like to. So um, there is a, there's a form on our Facebook page that we put out. You can um, sign up for those teams if you want to, and we'll, we'll get in contact with you. So, all right, uh, we are continuing on in our sermon series through Ephesians today, and today really marks an important point uh, in the letter in the sense that it's, this is a transitional passage, okay? Um, as I've briefly explained each week thus far, uh, we have titled this series, Life Together in Christ, because the first half of the letter is this lengthy art articulation of gospel doctrine, right? And then on the kind of the back half of the letter is mostly application of that doctrine for individuals, families, and churches who are doing life together in Christ. And um, this final section in chapter 3 that we're covering today is a prayer that marks Paul, the Apostle Paul's transition from this doctrinal section of the letter to this more uh, instructive section of the letter. And uh, this is a pretty important piece of context for you to understand um, that, that what we're reading today is essentially, it's the bridge, okay? It's the bridge from gospel doctrine uh, over into gospel culture. I think as we uh, begin to think through it, it'll make a lot of sense why uh, Paul prays uh, then the things that he, he does, okay? So let's go ahead, let's um, read it together, read the text, then we'll pray for God's help, uh, and then we'll, we'll dive into it, okay? Ephesians 3, we're picking it up 
at verse 14. Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit and your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Father, as we always do, God, we first praise you and we thank you for this gathering of of your people who are making much of you by singing songs unto you and sitting under the reading of your word. And Lord, today, um, this text is one that I feel could easily be passed over as just another prayer from the Apostle Paul for the church, and that we could just, in a a surface-level way, um, understand this as a call to pray, generally. But God, as I've read and processed through this with your help, God, I've realized that it's, it's putting forward to us an important reality regarding our spiritual need for your empowerment in our daily lives. And so I pray that you would help me, God, by your grace to explain it faithfully and that by your power, you would help us all to grasp it and apply it in our lives to the degree that we need to. God, we we don't ever want to presume that we are capable of doing anything in obedience to you Without you, that doesn't even make sense Yeah, that we would try to do that. This passage today is a reiteration of that impossibility, but also, God, I hope uh, an encouragement that as we are filled up, as it were, by your Spirit, as we understand the love of Christ for us experientially by your grace, we can live obedient lives worthy of the gospel for your glory. So help us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. I don't know about you, but every so often, kind of throughout my life, um, I have (laughs) maybe what I would uh, call a kind of a spiritual epiphany type moment where I I hear something that I I know I've heard before, I've read before, but in hearing it or reading it um, again in that particular moment of time, I, I hear it in a new way where it just... Uh, all of a sudden, uh, it makes so much more sense to me. Uh, maybe it was lost on me before, but in hearing it or reading it again, it's as though uh, the light bulb finally comes on. I'm a little slow on the uptake sometimes, I think, you know. Um, but th- this happened uh, in a big way at the moment of my conversion when I was born again and placed my, my faith in Christ initially because um, I- I'd been hearing the gospel all my life at various points, 
But all of a sudden in my, my early 20s, the, the dots just started to all connect in my heart and my mind. But that, that same kind of experience continues to happen for me as I grow in my understanding of Scripture and the various aspects of, of who God is and, and striving to live a godly life. And I, I leave with this because today's sermon may seem a bit like some repeated ideas that we heard back in chapter 1. In chapter 1, if you remember, if you're here, Paul told the Ephesians that he prays for them frequently, and then he, he detailed what he actually prays for them. And now in chapter 3, after a lot of important doctrinal teaching, he's going to uh, tell them again that he's praying for them, right? And so some of the themes do overlap, okay? But I think it's important for us to understand that when certain words or themes are repeated in the Bible, particularly in the context of a single book, it's important for us to dwell a bit more deeply on those things. The, the author is repeating things because they're important things, okay? That, that should go for all of your Bible reading. If you're seeing something repeated, you should, you should camp out there, okay? Uh, and so just like in parenting, if you have kids, I would bet money that you repeat yourself a lot. Um, and it's not because you just like to hear yourself be repetitious, right? It's because what you're repeating is important and you want your kids to really get it, right? Um, so I think that's what Paul is doing here uh, as he's about to move into some very directive teaching beginning in chapter 4. So let me go ahead... Uh, let me do something I don't normally do. Let me go ahead and give you just my whole outline, okay? Uh, and then we'll move through it one piece at a time. I think it'll make the most sense if you get kind of the full thrust on the, on the front end today. So, so here it is. Here's, here's why I think Paul prays again for the Ephesian church as he transitions from um, the core doctrine he wants them to hold um, into their applying of that doctrine. I think his prayer and its contents show us that the prayers of believers should be characterized by frequency, humility, and boldness because faithful obedience to the will of God requires two things, the empowerment, or sorry, the empowering strength of the indwelling spirit and a relationally intimate comprehension of Christ's love. Don't worry about writing all that down right now. We're going to go through it a piece at a time, okay? But that's, that's kind of the picture here, okay? Now let's move through this a piece at a time. Here's the first thing I just said. The prayers of believers should be characterized by frequency, humility, and boldness. You see, prayer is like the pulse of a genuine believer because when the regenerate work of the Holy Spirit takes place and we're, we're born again, right? We begin to see Jesus for, for who he is as Lord and Savior. And, and we all of a sudden, we, we have ears to hear the amazing truths of the gospel like, like we didn't before. Okay? And people who that has really happened to, uh, they begin to take on the new aspect of their identity as children of God. 
Okay? Um, if, if you know the Lord's Prayer or the model uh, or example of prayer that Jesus gives to his disciples, uh, then you know that the first word of that prayer is Father. Father. Now going back to the discussion about kids for a minute, because they, they're so helpful in understanding our relationship with God. Uh, I have four, they're all ten or under, and when I'm home, those those little boogers, they're constantly vying for my attention. And as a result, they're, they're calling to me, right? Dad, 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 hey, dad, 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 right? Sometimes I, I open my eyes, first thing, 6 a.m., one of them's right in front of me just waiting to go. Dad, right? <laughs> Or I'll be woken up, even before that, in the middle of the night, to one crying out, calling, Daddy. And um, this phenomenon is hardwired. <laughs> this phenomenon is hardwired. They all come like that. Right? Kids want the attention and validation and comfort and support and love and friendship of their dad. From what I hear, when they get into their late teens and early 20s, they sometimes stop displaying this for a little while. But um, as a man and now in my 30s whose uh, dad loved him but who passed away last time uh, or the last year around this time, um, I still have that natural impulse to pick up the phone because I want to hear from my dad. I want to hear from my dad. And so this is the most foundational reason that I say Our prayers as believers should be characterized first, not by eloquence, but by frequency. Frequency. This is reiterated by the verse many of us know in 1 Thessalonians 5, to pray without ceasing. So we see that it's it's actually not only just just natural for children, both physical and spiritual, to, to constantly go to their fathers, But God actually tells us, he instructs us to come to him frequently because when we do, it reveals our childlike faith and dependence on him, right? And so uh, while Paul doesn't get into all of that here, we, we see that his impulse to pray is an impulse to, quote, bow his knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named. The scope of the things that Paul is praying for um, is is massive, and the things that he's going to instruct on in the following chapters are not possible without God, and as we're going to discuss in just a moment. And so Paul comes again to the Lord in prayer on behalf of the Ephesian believers. And second, we see uh, that not only does he pray frequently, but he prays humbly. He prays humbly. He frames his prayer with a picture of his physical posture and the magnitude of God's sovereign fatherhood. In reference to his his posture of prayer, he says um, that he's he's kneeling. This is to show his submission and desperation for God's help to do the things that he's praying for in the lives of the Ephesians. And in reference to God's nature, he appeals to his sovereign ability, his divine knowledge of all people, and the primary motivation of God for his glory to be seen through the church and in Christ. Now, when it comes to our prayers, this text is not implying um, that we have to always kneel. 
uh, when we pray, because that, that wouldn't make sense, right? Um, if, if the frequency with which we're supposed to pray is without ceasing, and all of our prayers had to be kneeling, well then, we'd all be kneeling all the time, right? Um, but in a spiritual sense, when praying, we should always be bowed down in reverence before God, okay? Friends, there is a terrible false gospel movement that has been started by these prosperity and word of faith preachers like Joel Osteen, and they would tell you that you can just speak realities into existence with your words by simply declaring them to be true. Okay, This is an incredibly prideful way of viewing our relationship with God, as though He is some kind of a genie in our debt who only lives to make our, our wishes come true as we verbalize them, okay? Guys, in just a moment, we're going to discuss praying with boldness, but even in our boldest prayers, we don't presume to command God, right? <laughs> We don't presume to command God or tell Him what to do. This is not only heretical, it's laughable. Okay? When we come before the throne of God in our prayers, we are to do so with humility. He is the all-sufficient Father. We are the needy children. He is the sovereign King, and we are the submissive subjects. He is the omniscient creator of the universe, and we are his finite creatures who live to be a reflection of his glory. So in regards to how we are to approach the Lord in prayer, Paul models for us that we are to come frequently, we are to come humbly, and, and those two, I hope you see, are, are closely related, okay? Frequently and humbly are related. They feed off of each other. We come frequently to God when we're truly humble before Him. And when we're humble before God, we're going to come to Him for help frequently. You see how those are tied? Okay, so. But finally, we see that we are to pray with boldness. And this is not a, a contradiction to the humility aspect of our prayers, because here's the distinction. Our humility in prayer stems from our own understanding of our, ourselves and our natural weakness. And our boldness in prayer stems from our understanding of God's promises to us and His divine ability to be faithful to all of His promises to us. Okay. In other words, the boldness that we are to have in prayer is not arrogance in ourselves, it's confidence in Him. Take these two instructive instances from Jesus himself regarding the boldness of our prayers. And in Matthew 6, we've already referenced this, the Lord's Prayer. Jesus says, pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. These are big, bold prayers that God would glorify himself by using us to advance his kingdom in the world. And see, though they're big and bold, they're still humble. They're still humble because it's an appeal to God 
to do the things which he has already promised to do for his own glory. It's, it's not a, a self-centered, small declaring of God to make whatever we want happen. It's a submissive, God-focused pleading for him to use us for things bigger than ourselves. Okay. We see this same theme in, in John 14, where Jesus says to his disciples, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So again, this is pretty amazing um, in regards to what Jesus says that we can pray for. Uh, he says that as his church, we're going to do more than he was able to do in his earthly ministry. And thus he says, anything you ask, I'll do it. Right? Anything I ask, anything you ask, I'll do it. To show how awesome you are? No. <laughs> in order that God, he says, that God would be glorified through me. And he puts an important qualifier on our bold prayers. He says, whatever you ask in my name, whatever you ask in my name. So this doesn't mean that we can just go around um, invoking the name of Jesus like a magic incantation. Okay. That sounds funny. But we see people trying to do this, again, in the prosperity uh, and some charismatic type movements. When Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name, he's implying anything you pray that is consistent with my will and my mission and my word, I will do it. That's what it means to pray in Jesus' name, okay? That's why Christians add that little phrase at the end of, of all their prayers, right? In Jesus' name, okay? Um, it's, it's not that we're saying, when we say in Jesus' name, amen. It's not that we're saying, God, do whatever we just asked for in prayer because we said the magic word, Jesus, you gotta do it, right? No. <laughs> we're saying, we say, in Jesus' name, we're saying, and Lord, all that we have just prayed to the best of our knowledge is in accordance with what we know about Jesus. And so to the degree that it is, please do it for your glory. Okay, that's what we're praying. We pray in Jesus' name. Okay. And this is what we see from Paul in our passage. He prays humbly. But he makes some really bold requests. And then in the end, which we already referenced once, right? He says, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So, so he's not praying. Paul is not praying what he's praying so that the Ephesians would make him look like a good, successful apostle. He's praying them that God might continue to be glorified throughout the coming generations as the gospel spreads through them. Again, that's a big, bold mentality 
and motivation in Paul's prayers. And we should emulate him in that way by seeking to align our prayers with Jesus' words and Jesus' mission. Okay. I love this quote by 19th century Christian author Phillips Brooks. He says, Do not pray for easy lives. Pray to be stronger men. Do not pray for tasks equal to your powers. Pray for powers equal to your tasks. Then the doing of your work shall not be a miracle, but you shall be a miracle. Every day you shall wonder at yourself at the riches of life which has come to you by the grace of God. I think the Apostle Paul would agree with this exhortation because uh, the timing of this prayer, just before he begins to instruct the Ephesians on the basics of, of gospel living, implies, implies that faithful obedience to the will of God in our daily lives requires God's help. Okay? Faithful obedience to the will of God in our daily lives requires God's help. And the two means of help that he prays for are, number one, the empowering strength of the indwelling spirit and a relationally intimate comprehension of Christ's love. So let's discuss the importance of each of those. First of all, faithful obedience to the will of God requires the empowering strength of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Paul prays in verse 16. He says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now this word, power, is something that Paul repeats several times throughout the letter um, of Ephesians in relationship to faithful obedience to God. Okay, In chapter 1, he prays that they would grasp the immeasurable greatness of God's power to us who believe, according to the working of his great might. In chapter 2, he says that he became a minister of the gospel by the gift of God's grace given to him uh, by the working of God's power. Okay, In this chapter, we've just read this, right? It would be strengthened by God's power via the Holy Spirit in, their, in our inner being. And then finally, in chapter 6, we're going to see later on, now, in the midst of spiritual warfare, we're, we are to be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might or power as we wrestle against dark cosmic powers that don't want the gospel to advance. So, Paul, what I want you to see here is that Paul is very much laying out a theology in Ephesians of spiritual power that is available to those who have trusted in and follow Jesus. Okay. He's laying out a theology of power, of spiritual power. And this reference to the empowerment of believers for obedience to God, it's not unique to Paul. Okay, We actually see Jesus himself first refer to the power available to his disciples for the sake of his mission in Acts 1.8. Let me read that to you. In Acts 1.8, Jesus says to his disciples, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So uh, there's the tie, okay? Acts 1.8, that's, that's, that's the tie that we see between the Holy Spirit 
and power that we see Paul is echoing in our passage this morning. If we could just be faithful, if we could just be faithful and obedient on our own strength, then Paul would pray that the church would just be faithful and obedient, right? (laughs) But he doesn't. He prays that they would be empowered by the Spirit. Starting in chapter 4, Paul's going to instruct the church to live lives worthy of the gospel in every way, starting with unity as the body of Christ, flowing into being holy, flowing into how we treat people, how we speak to people, and our sexuality, our family life, and so on and so forth. And this prayer that he prays here at the outset tells us that we cannot just do all of that on our own. We need power. We need power. If you want to be consistently kind and loving, you need power. You want to stay committed to a group of sinners called a church, you need power. You want to be pure, you need power. You want to love your spouse, you need power. You want to be patient with your kids, you need power. Amen? (laughs) You want to go to war with the culture and preach the gospel that rescues people out of a trajectory of sin and death, you need power for that. You need power for that. Faithful obedience to the will of God requires power that only the indwelling Holy Spirit can give to us. And this this mindset is, (laughs) it's just shot through the New Testament, okay? I mean, let me just read you a few things. Philippians 2 Paul says to the Philippians, he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Get this. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We need God. We need power. Right? Hebrews 13. The author of Hebrews says, Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will. Again, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. We've read this one before recently. John 6, Jesus says, it's the spirit who gives life and the flesh is no help at all. Now, I'm just going to be honest, okay? This is kind of, based on all these verses we're putting together here and understanding this theology of power that we need, right, from the Spirit, it's kind of a mysterious process, okay? Uh, Because you can't see it happening. You can't observe it happening. If If you do a scan of your heart, you can't see Jesus in there. Right, Jason? Not just me. Right, Jason? Okay, all right. <laughs> I don't think you can see Jesus in there. If you do a scan of your, of your body, you can't see the Holy Spirit flowing. You can see blood and other things flowing through you, but 
You can't see the Holy Spirit flowing through you. These are invisible realities. The only way you can really know that they're working is if someone's being faithful in obedience to the will of God based on the Scriptures. That's how you can tell, right? You see the fruit. But based on all these collective passages, here's kind of how it seems like it works, okay? A while back, I, I had some computer issues, and so I got in contact uh, with the company who made the particular program I was having an issue with, and they instructed me to download another app, okay, that allows one of their techs to operate your computer remotely. Pretty wild, looking at someone, <laughs> you're just sitting back and watching somebody else, you know, move around on your desktop with files and, and settings and on your screen, and they're not with you physically, okay? In the same way, because the Spirit is giving us power in our inner being, Christ is dwelling in our hearts through faith. Okay? Jesus becomes the driver, the primary driver of our lives through the indwelling Holy Spirit. Let me just remind you of something. Um, Jesus is a real person. Sometimes we like forget that, like he's like an idea. Or Jesus is a real person. And now he's a real flesh and blood person because he took on flesh at the incarnation and he will have flesh and blood forevermore, okay? So Jesus is a real person and he is seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. That's what we read in Scripture. But via the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, who is in us and connects us with Jesus, He is able to graciously empower us to live faithful and obedient lives like remote access. Are you tracking with me there? Okay. And He's, he's doing that in all of us. It's pretty amazing. At the same time, like a holy hive mind or something, you know, like we're, we're all connected to him, right? And to one another, the church, his body, and he is pumping out power into us to lead us, to guide us and transform us and ultimately to use us to accomplish his mission, his redemptive mission in the world. And our passage today that speaks of being filled with the fullness of God paired with later in Ephesians 5 where it tells us not to be drunk with wine but to be filled with the Spirit. Follow me here. Okay. These texts imply that this power that we are given by God via His indwelling Spirit, it can actually fluctuate. It can fluctuate. Stay with me, okay? We can be filled up with His strength and power, or we can be depleted of it, or even neglect it altogether, leaving us to be Christians who are leading spiritually impotent, or powerless lives. And we don't want that, right? I don't think we want that. 
If there's power from the Spirit that we can be filled up with in order to be faithful to Christ, we want that power. I'm not talking about anything weird, okay? I'm talking about obedience to Christ. I know some people talk about power, like it's going to make us do all these weird things. I'm not talking about weird things. I'm talking about obedience. We want that power. And so Paul prays for it, for the Ephesian church. I don't know about you, but this is one of those things that didn't really connect for me early on, right? As I was reading the scriptures, I knew there's this talk of power and the spirit, but this, particularly this connection and the, the filling up of spiritual power or not, right? It just didn't light up for me. But church, we, we need to see this here. Paul wants us to understand this. In order to be a faithful believer in Christ, you need, I need, we need power. And that power ebbs and flows. And since the Bible doesn't explicitly tell us at what rate that happens, I would just go out on a limb and say, we should probably be asking for God to graciously empower us by his spirit to be faithful a lot, frequently, like we said earlier. Because just like you drive your car every day and the gas level goes down, so too every day in everything that we're doing, we're pushing the spiritual gas pedal and we're using it up as we strive to be faithful and obedient in all things. I'll move on to my final point in just a minute, but we actually see an example of this. If you're like, well, let me see that. Okay, well, let me show you, okay? (laughs) I think we see an example of this in Acts 4. Peter and John are being threatened by the religious authorities in that area. They're being threatened to stop preaching the gospel. They want them to stop preaching the gospel, which, as you can imagine at that time, I mean, after seeing John beheaded, and Jesus crucified, that had to be somewhat scary to be told to stop preaching the gospel, right? Like, stop preaching the gospel or else. Like, you know what happened to these guys, right? So, um, and so they, they go back, the passage says they go back to their friends and fellow believers, and they tell them what happened, and they all just start to pray and to cry out to God for help to keep being faithful in the face of opposition, And here's what it says in Acts 4 about their prayer. Here's what they pray. They say, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, they already had the Holy Spirit, right? Because they're believers. That had happened already, right? But they were filled afresh with the Spirit. They're filled up. It says, and, and then at the end of the verse, and they continued to speak 
the word of God with boldness, right? So maybe you see the, you see the point I'm making here. Friends, Paul humbly prays to God the Father for the Ephesians in chapter 3 because he was about to instruct them to be faithful and obedient in a host of ways for the sake of the gospel. And he, he knew something. He knew something that we need to know too. Faithful obedience to the will of God requires power. It requires power. Namely, the empowering strength of the indwelling spirit. Okay. Now, the second thing he prays for, finally, is a relationally intimate comprehension of Christ's love. Okay, so filling with the power of the Spirit and a relationally intimate comprehension of Christ's love. He says, verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So these, these two things that we need for faithful obedience are like a two-sided coin. On one side is the power of the indwelling spirit. On the other side is a deep understanding of the love of Christ. Okay, Paul says, an understanding of Christ's love that, quote, surpasses knowledge. Now, at first, this might sound kind of mystical, right? even paradoxical, like we're supposed to know something that, that can't be known. But I don't think that's what Paul's saying. I think he's saying that there is a kind of comprehension of Jesus that comes from not merely knowing things about Jesus and that can be gained only by spending time with Jesus. Okay. Now, that doesn't mean that we can neglect knowing things about Jesus. <laughs> okay. I think that's where it starts, right? It starts with reading the Word. That's where we meet Jesus in the Bible. That's where we learn of the incredible love of Jesus displayed in the fact that He came down from His rightful place beside God the Father, and He dwelt among us in human flesh in order to live the, the perfect life for us that we never could have, and then to die by crucifixion on a Roman cross in our place in order to become the perfect sacrifice for the atonement of our sin so that we could be free from sin's enslavement and its eventual punishment, which is death, right? Comprehending, that's the gospel, by the way, okay? Comprehending the breadth and length and height and depth of Jesus' love starts with understanding that message. It starts with understanding the message of the gospel. But... For anyone who has been born again, our relationship with Jesus goes beyond simply knowing facts about the works of Jesus, and it develops into a vibrant and ongoing relationship with the person of Jesus. You see the difference? As we meditate on the gospel, okay, and we drink in the manner of his life, 
and his ministry and consider his words, we begin to know him in a more intimate way, such that, like Peter and John in Acts 4, of whom it was said, even though they were uneducated men, it said people could tell that they had been with Jesus. People could tell they'd been with Jesus because they had become close friends with Jesus. And as a result, they carried themselves more and more like Jesus. And so this is why in our vision statement, we say, we walk out today, see it big on that wall out there, okay? We say that we exist as a church to make disciples who believe the gospel, but it doesn't stop there, okay? who believe the gospel, it goes on from believing the gospel into abiding in Christ. Because we believe from Scripture that this is how the Christian life progresses. Genuine belief in the gospel leads to an abiding relationship with Christ. And as that relationship with Christ transforms us, it flows out into our obedience to his word. That's why we're trying to make disciples who do that, right? Who believe the gospel, abide in Christ, and obey his word. There you go. So we see this, actually, in John 15. This is Jesus himself explaining. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, he says, you can do nothing. That's consistent with our text, right? That's why Paul prays for this. He says, if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. This is what Paul is referring to in his prayer for the Ephesians. He's praying that they would have a deep and abiding relationship with Jesus that goes further than just knowing about him and that actually knows him. That actually knows him. Okay? Because this, Jesus says, This is what flows out into a life of faithful, spirit-empowered obedience. We don't have this, he says. Like like if you cut a branch off an apple tree, is that branch going to grow apples? No, Jesus says. The branch has to abide in the vine, right? And so we need this intimate comprehension of Jesus' Love, abiding in Jesus, that is abiding in Jesus' words to the point that we understand and we trust his heart for us, expressed in his commands, that we don't merely affirm when we hear a preacher say them, but where we actually truly live them out. Okay. And so I say, 
for a life of faithful obedience to the will of God. We need power, but we also need a relationally intimate comprehension of Christ's love. Because the unfathomable love of Christ to not only die for sinners, but to make sinners his friends. That's what he says. To make sinners his friends. And then to make them co-heirs of his kingdom and co-laborers on his mission. That kind of love controls us. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. Now, in closing, I don't know about you, but this prayer, the more that I wrestled with it, I found it to be, on one hand, incredibly compelling. (laughs) This is a compelling prayer. But on the other hand, really convicting. Okay. Because if if I could just be honest... I look at my own life, even as a man who has tried to give up everything to proclaim the gospel and to be an under-shepherd in Jesus' church, I just feel like if I were to make an honest assessment of my own life, I'm often lacking. Lacking in the kind of power that the scriptures paint a picture of. And so this week, here's what I did. So I read this passage. I prayed. And I repented of my pride of going through so much of my life as a believer without praying to be filled with the power of the fullness of God that Paul says is available to us. Okay. To be clear, I, I think the Lord has been gracious to me in my life, helping me along the way, even when I haven't done this the way I think the Bible says that we, we should do it. So I'm not saying my whole faith and practice has been empty or sham or something like that. It hasn't. The Lord has definitely been kind to use me. And of course, I've, I've asked for His grace every step of the way. But here's the thing. I, I don't want to rely on the Lord making up for my ignorance anymore in this area. I, I want to live a life more and more evidently characterized by His power. Maybe I'm alone in that. I won't make you raise your hand and make me feel better, but if I'm alone in that, thanks for bearing with your pastor who's still growing, okay, and, and putting together a, a clearer picture of a, a biblically coherent Christian life based on the scriptures. <clears throat> but if you can resonate with this, if you can resonate with this, because you feel at times like your Christian walk, while you believe the gospel and you love Jesus, you feel like your Christian walk has lacked power? Then I want to just close with this passage from Luke 11 where Jesus is encouraging his disciples to pray. I I found this to be incredibly encouraging. In Luke 11, Jesus says this. He says, And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. 
Friends, God is so gracious. He's so gracious. If you feel that your Christian life is lacking in power, ask for it. Ask for it. He's our perfect heavenly Father, and He gives His Spirit to His children when they ask because we need to be filled and we need to be empowered by His Spirit, the fullness of God, in order to be faithful in all the ways that we're going to see starting next week that He instructs us to be faithful. Okay. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Father, God, we thank you once again for your word. And we thank you for how your word, God, is it's, it's like a diamond. It's multifaceted in its beauty. The more we turn it over and observe it and dig into it, God, you've got more to show us. You've got more to teach us about you and about our life of following you and being faithful to you. Father, I pray today has been helpful for my brothers and sisters in Christ here. God, this passage has been eye-opening to me regarding our need, not not just our need for your spirit, I, I know that, God, but the need for ongoing filling of your spirit and of spiritual power in order to do all the things that you have called us to do. Father, I pray that we would be a people characterized by prayers that are frequent and prayers that are humble and prayers that are bold and asking you for these things, God, because we need you. If we're going to be faithful, we need you. We can't do it on our own. We need you to empower us by your spirit. And we need to know you, Jesus. We need to know you more deeply and intimately through our experience of walking with you. In your name I pray, Lord, amen.